Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we'll discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear personal stories from people deeply affected by those issues. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic is palliative care. Let's talk now with this week's guest. Will you please? My name is Tim Jessick. I'm a palliative medicine physician uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Dr. Jessick, let's begin with what is palliative care? The big word, people might associate it with different things. What is palliative care refer to? I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the hospital about what palliative care is. A lot of times it's assumed that palliative care is hospice care and end of life care. And right. When clearly we help folks way upstream. But patients and families, I think, also get confused about what we are and what we aren't. So there's a lot of confusion on both ends, I believe. Palliative care is a specialty that's really served by specialists that are physicians, nurses, social workers, and chaplains. And our role is to provide care for patients that have serious, chronic, and life-limiting illnesses, to provide patient and family-centered care. And what we try to do is meet patients and families where they are, understand what their understanding is about the disease process, and try to match care that is offered to their goals, their values, and their preferences. So Dr. Jessic, palliative care is your specialty, right? That's where you work right now. What's the state of palliative care in the United States right now? Because, I mean, you know, most hospitals have really good teams or it's still hit or miss depending on where you are. It's really still in its infancy right now. What can we say about about that right now in the U.S.? Great question. So palliative medicine is still a newer specialty. It's really only been around for 10, 15 years. So, but the good news is, is that most hospitals, even smaller hospitals, have some sort of a palliative medicine team. Ideally, you'd love to have a doc and a nurse and a social worker and a chaplain, part of the interdisciplinary team. Most hospitals, a great majority of hospitals, have some member of those teams in the hospital itself a doc or a nurse or a social worker at least. So that that's fantastic. But still with us being in the infancy, we, we're moving forward nicely. We're seeing more and more of us around, which is fantastic. And the literature that's being produced from the palliative care field keeps getting broader and broader. So Dr. Jessic, is the need for palliative care on the rise, you know, uh, in recent years or the past decade or so? Great question. The palliative care need has risen uh, dramatically, and for, I think for a couple of different reasons. For one, healthcare is very siloed now. I used to be a primary care physician where I'd care for folks in the emergency department and in the clinic and in the hospital, and I'd see them all the way to the nursing home or hospice, but primary care isn't doing that anymore. So these poor patients and families have their own primary care clinician, but then they see a new physician in the emergency department. If they get admitted to the hospital, they see a hospitalist or a new specialist. If they go to the nursing home, they see a new doc over there as well. So it's very siloed, very segmented care overall. So what palliative care basically has done a patient-centered approach. We, in a way, have almost replaced primary care because our job is to get to know those patients and families as quickly as possible and then try to understand what matters to them most. So that's one of the main reasons I think palliative care has really risen recently. The other is there's a lot of things we can do to patients. There's a lot of procedures, there's a lot of life-giving, life-providing treatments and procedures and so forth, which are fantastic, but it's made healthcare and made care in general very, very complicated. So just because we can do a kidney transplant or procedure 
doesn't necessarily mean that matches up with the patient's goals, nor that we should be doing that. So palliative care really helps sort through what we can do. And we did kind of figure out what we should be doing for a patient based again on their values. You know, a lot of it's really truly end of life. So we'll see folks in the ICU where their loved one has been on a ventilator, has been in life support, things aren't going well, and they're really trying to make tough, tough decisions. We get involved all the time in those cases where we just really talk to the family in this case, hey, what did your loved one value most? What, what do you think they'd want to do in this circumstance? So we get involved a lot of times there. And in other cases, we have patients that can't make their own decisions and the family doesn't know what's going on or doesn't understand what the medical team is telling them. We can sort through those discussions really more upstream with those families and then relay the patients or at least in this case, the family's wishes. So part of this is not only we need to train our clinicians, especially earlier on in medical school, how to talk to patients and how to listen. But in essence, that's what we are. We're, we're, our specialty is communication. Not only communication and talking, but also listening. So yes, we definitely can help sort some of those issues, listen to the patients and families, and then communicate those wishes to the medical staff to so make sure we're all on the same page. So, uh, so Dr. Jessica, I understand you have a personal story you can share related to palliative care. Yeah, I do have my own. Actually, it's a story of my mom. My mom had pretty severe dementia, but also really bad what we call peripheral vascular disease, so blood vessel disease. So she was always having problems with sores and leg pain and it would hurt when she would walk. And with her dementia getting worse and her mind getting worse, it was a, really a combination of different problems. But every time she got admitted to the hospital for different problems, her primary care doc was good at treating the infection and things like this. But he never was able to really have that conversation with the family about, well, let's look at the big picture. This might be an ongoing problem. And let's talk about code status while we're here in the hospital. He just never really had the training to have those type of discussions. Although he provided really good medical care, big picture wise, he just didn't know how to talk to us. So as her dementia got worse and as her blood vessel problem got worse, she started having more and more pain and more problems with sores. And they kept suggesting different treatments and different antibiotics and so forth, which were good. But it got to the point where they suggested surgery for her leg. And my family agreed to going through surgery because they didn't have anything else to do. Well, finally, I got a little bit more involved as a palliative doc, called the surgeon and said, listen, doing this pretty big surgery could cause problems, could cause harm. And he agreed, yes, it could. And it might help the one leg, but it's not going to help all the other problems. He says, no, it's not. So I asked whether or not this was really more of a burden to my mom than a benefit. And he agreed. He says, yeah, I really don't want to do the surgery, but since your family wanted it, I'm offering it. So it wasn't until that discussion, that big goals of care discussion with the surgeon, were we able to go back to my family saying, I think the surgery is too risky. It's not going to satisfy your goals, mom, nor really help with all the other problems going on. I don't think we should do it. It wasn't until that point that we really switched gears. And it wasn't until that point, one of my family members suggested a palliative nurse that was in the community to come see my mom and take care of the family. And they did. And even though they were only able to take care of my mom for eight days before she passed, that eight days was fantastic. Her pain control was much better. Her wounds were better, were really well managed in the home. But more so, the support that they gave my mom and my family was fantastic. Just helping with kind of preparing for the future. And it's okay to be at home and sorry that things aren't going the way you wanted. Just those discussions brought great relief to not only my mom, but my, my family. So it's a very, very short period of time that Pauta was involved, but it made a huge, huge difference. And what a contrast that patient and family-centered care compared to usual medical care, which is very much more clinician-centered, 
and really focus on usual medical care. So I don't criticize or really critique the clinicians. They did, they did the best job they could. They just didn't know that palliative was an option or this patient-centered approach really could be really in my mom's best interest. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I'm sure that's not all that uncommon, meaning that if there's a situation where a doctor is offering his medical expertise, this is what the problem is with the patient. This is the treatment that will take care of the problem. It probably isn't that unusual, perhaps, for a doctor when they're having that discussion with the family to not be as well-trained or as well-versed in how to have a bigger conversation about, okay, is this really a treatment that's going to serve your long-term goals or that's going to serve the goals of what you really need right now in your state and life, right? And that is one instance where a palliative care team can really come and help. I can think of a situation, you know, where this is not like the one you described, but it's certainly not uncommon. I've been through it where there are several specialists involved. This happened with my father-in-law. We had a heart doctor. He had a kidney doctor. He had a lung specialist. He had all kinds of specialists because there were so many issues going on at the same time. And of course, they were never in the room at the same time. And so there was a lot of lack of communication going on. So it was difficult to understand everything every doctor was trying to say to us based on his specialty or her specialty. And it was difficult as the loved one who was trying to take care of, really my wife, trying to take care of her father in understanding what's happening and what's the best decision to be made. And that's another situation where bringing in a palliative care specialist would actually help in getting down to, okay, what do we really want to accomplish? What do we want to do? What's the best course of action that maybe you can't get talking to each individual doctor one at a time? Is that fair? Yes. Great, great points, Bob. You know, healthcare is so siloed right now. And the old-fashioned Marcus Welby doc, right, that knows right. the patient, knows all the family, right. they're not around anymore. They're mostly in the clinic. They're not in the hospital. So you have a bunch of well-meaning clinicians, doctors, nurses, and so forth, that are focused on the heart. And a different doctor focused on the lungs. And a different doctor focused on the kidneys, right? And they're very, very good at their specialty and with that organ. But who's taking care of the patient? Who's being family-centered and patient-centered to really put this all together? So that's really part of the place for palliative care now and a palliative care team is to really put all that information together, meet a patient and family where they are, figure out what their goals are, what their wishes are, what their hopes are for the future, and figure out which part of the medical team's suggestions makes most sense for that patient and family based on their goals. That's what our specialty does. That's what our focus is. Right. So we've been talking with several people here today about what palliative care is. So Dr. Jessick, so I think we already talked about how most hospitals probably have some level of palliative care specialist, maybe one, maybe a team, maybe large. It's going to be different depending on the situation. But is it still in today's world, I guess, where palliative care is today, it's most likely that the patient or the patient's family should request palliative care rather than the hospital being immediately aware to refer the patient. Yeah, hospitals are getting better. I think hospitals and clinicians are understanding that palliative is not just hospice. It's not just end-of-life care. But sometimes these well-meaning clinicians don't think of palliative care as an option for a lot of different reasons. So absolutely, this is a place where patients and families can advocate for themselves, saying, hey, boy, we have a lot of discussions, a lot of decisions, a lot of input. We really would appreciate or would request a palliative care consult to help us sort through these really tough discussions and decisions. 
what are the situations under which it would be really appropriate for me to say to the hospital, hey, can I talk to a palliative care specialist? We would perhaps we already realize that that would apply in a situation where you're at the end of life and there's a lot of pain involved and you might get the palliative care team involved then, but things that aren't so obvious like that. Great question, Bob. A couple different things come to mind right off the bat. If, if a patient or family notices that a patient's declining over time and is being admitted to the hospital several times, three or four admissions in three or four months, that might be a time to sit down and talk about goals. Boy, the, the heart disease seems to be getting worse, which is leading to a lot of hospitalizations or dad's function is declining. We might need to talk through this from a big picture perspective. Palliative care can help with that if there's multiple hospitalizations. Or if there's a big decision to be made, you know, is it time to intubate dad or not? Or should we consider a feeding tube? Or does starting dialysis make sense? Having those specialists involved, the kidney specialist, lung specialist is really, really important. But having palliative care involved with those discussions and with those clinicians at the same time, maybe will help look at the big picture a little bit better. And then, of course, as you mentioned, so, you know, patients and families have, have been spending a lot of time in the ICU, you know, seven, eight days in the ICU. Which way do we go? What makes sense? Not necessarily withdrawing care, but how aggressive should we get? Those critical moments is, is an ideal time to have palliative care involved, too. Okay. Well, Dr. Jessica, let's talk a little bit about physician-assisted suicide. So Ohio is not one of those states, and nor is Milwaukee, the state where you are in, where that's legal right now. However, a patient could still be, they, they could be having a terminal illness or just a really serious illness even that gives them some disabilities that they don't feel like they want to live with anymore, right? And they might wish they had the option of physician-assisted suicide, or they might just be really depressed and just be expressing that they really don't think they want to live anymore. How does palliative care come into that? And, and do you have examples where you know that good palliative care has helped patients in that kind of a situation? Thanks, Bob. So, so for, for folks that even consider ending their life or consider other options than usual care, I think part of the problem is, is our current system. It's a very solid system, as I mentioned earlier, and it's really kind of an all-or-nothing system, unfortunately. With it being an all-or-nothing system, we push, 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 do medical treatments as long as we can. And then when those medical treatments aren't working, we don't have much to offer for folks. I think this is really where palliative care does come in and really can help. What, what palliative care can do is, again, not only be patient and family-centered, but some of those issues that come up with patients. I'm losing my autonomy. I don't have control over my life anymore. I don't want to be a burden on my family. I'm having pain or symptoms issues. That's exactly what we excel at, is at figuring out those, some of those issues. You know, is this patient really depressed because of their condition? And what can we do to help that out? We can usually address a lot of those issues that are so disturbing to patients and really suggest and offer alternatives. Dr. Jessica, what I keep hearing over and over from organizations who, who look at the studies of this, the vast majority of people who choose, who are in a state where they can and choose physician-assisted suicide, they do it because of they don't want to be a burden because of a loss of autonomy. They don't do it because of pain, mm -hmm. typically. So how is it that working with the family and working with a patient can help with that concern of autonomy? Palliative care, really being patient-centered and who they are or who they were and recognize those losses, validate those losses for patients. And really, in a lot of cases, talk about hope. You know, what, what are you hoping for? Well, I'm hoping that my cancer would be cured, but I can't. What else are you hoping for? Let's look at other ways that brings meaning to your life, even though it has changed dramatically. By changing and redefining hope, by helping a patient through that process, all of a sudden, 
their current living situation may not be as bad. It's not perfect, but then maybe there's meaning for the process that they're going through. Maybe they find meaning and hope for the future, whether it be a wedding, whether it be a birthday in the future. And all of a sudden, that feeling of despair and loss of autonomy all of a sudden lessens a little bit, and they know that they have somebody else trying to help them out. Right. I actually spoke with a woman number of years ago who was in a state where you had, and she got a diagnosis of cancer and it was terminal. And she immediately just wanted to, you know, to end her life, even though the doctor said to her, well, you have a 70% chance with treatment of beating your cancer and this type of cancer in these conditions. And she still wasn't interested. But then when he started talking to her about, Hey, what about when your son gets married? You know, I mean, don't you want to be there? You know, what if you could have grandchildren in a short amount of time? You know, what about that? And then, and then that kind of a concern totally changed her mind. She decided to seek treatment. And now it's been over 15 years that she's been in remission, you know, so incredible story. So it makes sense to me that talking with the patient and talking with the family, right? It could be a situation where in your inside of your own head, you're thinking, I don't want to be a burden on my family. But once the conversation opens up with the family, and the family expresses what they believe, you find out that the family doesn't see it as a burden, perhaps, right? You don't want to be a burden, but you're not a burden. (laughs) Nobody thinks it's a burden. They have to help you, you know, more than they had to in the past. They're happy to do it. And that kind of thing can be helpful as well. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Great comments. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes discussing that elephant in the room, and just opening up conversation between patients and families makes all the difference in the world. Just to start talking about, no, mom, you're not going to be a burden. And, you know, we really love you. We care for you. We want you around. And you know, we have some things to look forward in the future. Sometimes bringing up those discussions and just talking really does make all the difference in the world. Okay. So, Dr. Jessica, where can we learn more about if we want to look more into what is palliative care and how do I, because so that I'm ready when a situation comes up, we might want to be asking for it. Where can we learn about that? couple places to look. One would be getpalliativecare.org. It's a national website, national organization that has a lot of basic information about what palliative care is and isn't. And when, when may you want to involve palliative care and what does that look like? Okay. So we're showing that on the screen right now, getpalliativecare.org. Is there anything you want to talk through anything we're seeing on the screen right now? It's just a lot of basic information, obviously some videos to look through, some webinars you can look at, but it's just a lot of basic information for folks about what palliative care is and isn't, why is it important, when should you use it. Okay, terrific. Good. I would also love to recommend the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine site. Not only, this is really probably more for clinicians, but there is some basic education information and advocacy information for folks to look at as well. I should also let you know that the Pachita Act, the Pachita Bill, just went through the House, the Palliative Care and Hospice Education Act. This would be a big plus for palliative care and palliative care education. Not only would, would this help educate other docs and nurses about palliative care and basic palliative care principles, this will also provide a lot of information for folks like you and me that just don't know much about this. So please contact your local congressmen and women to, to help promote this bill. Okay, so if you go to AAHPM, it stands for the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, AAHPM.org. On that website, a few links down, as you can see here, it says Pachita. Pachita is uh, short for Palliative Care and Hospice Education and Training Act. 
Anyway, it passes U.S. House, urge Senate to take action. You can click right there on that link, and it tells you how to email your local senators to try to get your senators to support an expansion of palliative care workforce awareness and research. It's again, it's an act right there on the federal level that has passed the U.S. House, and it's currently in the U.S. Senate. Go ahead and uh, just fill out this form right there on the website and contact your senator to urge them to pass that in the Senate as well. That's a great little action step. Uh, what else might the regular person in the pew do to improve the state of palliative care in the United States? So by all means, the time of Marcus Welby, and you got to listen to the doc, only is gone. And we have to advocate for ourselves and our families. So to ask for a palliative consult, if you don't quite understand what's going on, makes perfect, perfect sense. So folks can, edu- can educate themselves what palliative care is and isn't what the Catholic Church teaches about palliative care, end-of-life care, care, and advanced directives. Hugely important. If you have questions about this, ask your priests. Ask folks at church. I think also the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which is kind of the source for everything Catholic, has a nice section on palliative care and what it is and isn't. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there right now that palliative care is all about killing people and end of life. And that's clearly not the case. You know, our, our current Pope and our previous Popes have been very pro-palliative and see how patient-centered care can uh, really help patients and their families. That's really helpful. So if we go to usccb.org and click here under issues and actions, human life and dignity, which is the page that viewers of Being Pro-Life should be pretty familiar with already. Under human life and dignity, if you go to the assisted suicide section, You can see a lot of resources on some of the difficulties of physician-assisted suicide, but there's an article here on the right, Killing the Pain, Not the Patient, Palliative Care versus Assisted Suicide. That could be a good resource to learn more about palliative care and how it is that it also can be related, unfortunately. Not that palliative care is related, but that I guess a lack of palliative care could be related to assisted suicide or or how that palliative care could help someone who is thinking about assisted suicide. So that's one of the resources you can find there at the USCCB.org website. Thanks, Bob. One other big area that I'm really excited about is through the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. We have just finished producing videos for Catholics, for folks in the pews, basic information about what advanced directives are and how they're useful and what's important with the faith as far as ordinary means, extraordinary means, and things like that. Those videos will be available for everybody December 1st of this year. Um, we'll have a specific link at some point for you, but going to Arch, the Archdiocese of Milwaukee website will be the first step. So at the moment of recording this video, this website is not up. But if you go to our website, like we always tell you, catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. On that page on palliative care, we will definitely have that link when this is going up on those videos that Dr. Jessic is referring to. So if you're watching this video, go to catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life, and uh, we'll definitely have that link up there for you. Great. So Dr. Jessic, you mentioned these videos on palliative care. Tell us more about how would we use these videos, particularly in a parish, in a Catholic parish. Yes, thank you. The videos by themselves are great. They're beautiful videos. But then it raises a lot of questions. Well, what do we do about this? What does that mean? So part of our work at the Archdiocese of Milwaukee is to really develop a program. So you and your parish could request not only going through the videos, but maybe implementing this program at your parish. So maybe you can ask your priest and maybe some healthcare professionals to lead an evening program where you talk about advanced directives and about palliative care and about hospice, specifically from Catholic teaching. 
So please request not only watching the videos on your own, but watching them as a group, but uh, request within your parish that they do some sort of a program to really discuss these issues. The more we talk about these issues, the more we talk about healthcare problems as they occur, the better we'll be prepared. Any other suggestions for the regular person in the pew? Yes. The last suggestion is to talk to your priest. If you have questions about end-of-life decisions and discussions, if you have to decide about stopping life support or a ventilator or feeding tube questions and don't know what to do, ask for your priest. Go talk to your priest. They understand this better than anybody. And the priest in the Catholic community doesn't always know if you've been admitted to the hospital. So please ask priests for help as you're trying to make some of these discussions and, and kind of go through these uh, really, really tough health care crises. Thanks for talking with us today about the importance of palliative care, how important it is that we can improve the quality of life for so many people, how, how much bigger it is that it's not just related to hospice care. It's also for care for people that have any kind of chronic illness or some kind of very painful, something like that, situations where we can help doctors, if you have several doctors, help the communication go better, work with the family and the patients. It's a big holistic type of care. And how you can get involved to educate yourself and learn more about how it is so that if you have a family situation where you need palliative care, then you can get the care that you need. So thank you for talking with us today. Thank you very much, Bob, for this opportunity to talk today. This is such an important topic and issue for our patients and families. I do appreciate you raising the awareness. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website and view all the links talked about in this episode at www.catholiccincinnati.org being pro life. Thank you again for joining us today, and I look forward to being with you next time.